Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, with the latest installment of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast, where I get to talk to editors and reporters about the most compelling stories and sources they're covering. Today, my guest is senior real estate reporter Matt Blake, and we have a lot to talk about. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. From first-time and non-traditional home buyers to those needing a jumbo loan for a second home, Finance of America Mortgage and their skilled, award-winning mortgage advisors have helped over 450,000 customers since 2015. Finance of America Mortgage is licensed to lend in all 50 states, plus Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. And backed by best-in-class lending technology with a wide range of innovative and proprietary mortgage products, they're prepared to help borrowers find loans that meet their needs. Want to join an award-winning team and evaluate your business? Visit www.joinfamtoday.com forward slash housing wire to learn more. Finance of America Mortgage LLC is licensed nationwide. Equal housing opportunity. NMLS ID number 1771. www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Equal opportunity employer. Matt, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. I'm so glad to have you on. Lots going on. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was a story that you did on Samson Properties. You've been looking at different brokerages and their models. You've looked at Compass, you've looked at EXP, you've looked at Samson, you've looked at um, some of the other more traditional ones, because one of the things that you're trying to figure out is, and that we want to explain to audiences, like, what are the models and how will they how will they perform as we go forward into um, a kind of a really different market um, this year than last. So first, give us a little bit of background about what you found overall about brokerages and, and what how Samson fits into that. Sure. So what I found overall about brokerages is that it's sort of, there's this thing called the total addressable market, which is like a trillion dollars or something like that. And, you know, re- residential real estate is a huge integral part of the U.S. economy But real estate brokerages themselves only get kind of like crumbs or slivers of this huge part of the economy. And it's in the form traditionally of the real estate agent gets a sales commission and then the brokerage gets a percentage of that sales commission. And those percentages that the brokerages have been getting have grown smaller over the years. So now typically let's say a buyer's agent um, gets 3% of the total cost of a home sale. And then of that 3%, a brokerage might get 15, 20% of that. So that's basically the business model that real estate brokerages have. That's their primary source of revenue that applies to Compass, EXP, Realogy. What Samson is doing differently is that, so Samson, they're a Fairfax, Virginia-based company They've been around for 21 years and they pivoted around 2009 to this model of instead of trying to generate revenue through real estate commissions, they try to generate revenue through title insurance. So basically what happens is, is that a Samson agent guides a home buyer through a sale and then 
the home buyer presumably is like, I don't know that much about title insurance. What title insurance company should I go to? And so then the Samson agent is like, oh, you should go to Cardinal Title Group. And it just so happens the Cardinal Title Group is wholly owned by Samson. And so if the home buyer agrees to go to Cardinal Title Group, then that means probably about $2,000 to $2,200 in a title insurance fee that is then collected by Samson. So that's the primary source of revenue. They also get like a flat fee for each sale that's done, but the flat fee is only about $350. So basically what Samson Properties is doing is a totally different model in the revenue sources, primarily title instead of title being like a more secondary source of revenue, which is the case with most brokerages. And I, I really feel like um, this was such an interesting story because we see more people seeing title as a, a great revenue generator. So this may be a new thing that Samson's doing, or they, they're doing it in a in a further way. But this is, I mean, we see huge interest in title across mortgage, fintechs, valuation, uh, real estate. Everybody wants to get in on title, right? Because mm-hmm. it is um, up until this time, um, you know, there might be some changes with Fannie. Um, coming, but you know, right now it it is a really great it, it is a really good business to be in. So um, interesting that they are kind of uh, on the vanguard of that. Yeah, it is a really good business to be in because basically, I think you're required to have title insurance usually in most states, and so I mean, it's one of those things where, like, you know, like I cover real estate for a living, and like I cannot tell you sort of like what might differentiate, you know, Fidelity National Title Group from Stewart Title from Cardinal Title. So it's something where there's not like a high level of like consumer knowledge. And so I think that like other, you know, whether it's a mortgage company or real estate company, they sort of like try to take advantage of that and sort of like shop their title services. But I would I would just say one more thing about that, which is that it's interesting when you mentioned, like, I think Fannie Mae came out with something, my colleague Brooklyn is doing something on it, but basically saying that, like, you know, maybe not all the time do we need to have title insurance. And that's something that I think a lot of people are looking at when exploring, like, quote unquote, like inefficiencies in real estate and housing being like, when is title insurance actually necessary? Like, when do people actually make claims about who owns a home or something Else, So it's kind of an interesting push and pull because on the one hand, a lot of companies are trying to make money off of title insurance. But on the other hand, there are like companies like Proppy, the um, NFT company that are basically saying title insurance is just adding another intermediary. It's not really that necessary. I think it's fascinating. It reminds me of the same thing about valuation that these two topics, these two areas, we've always covered them. At housing wire, but they've been sort of in the backwater. You know, I mean, they haven't been the most exciting things. And then I just feel like in the last two years, both of these topics have just jumped to the forefront. And I think part of it is just the evolution of like we've been really looking at efficiencies, we've been really looking at you know the um, the consumer experience, and then you know with tighter margins, you're always looking for like okay, well, what's next, and what could be what could be squeezed out, what what could be done better. Um, so I think it's really interesting to see where we are with title, the, the conversations that are happening around title and valuation. Like, um, what does it look like going forward? Yes, it's always looked like this in the past. What does it look like going forward? Um, you know, to your point about 
that most uh, real estate agents, you know, have a, a title company that they're going to um, recommend. Every time I've bought a house, mm-hmm. I definitely don't want to go with, you know, I'm like, you tell me who, who you work with. That's that's who I'd like to yeah. work with because, I mean, I to your point, it's like I'm not exactly sure. And if, if you already have a smooth process with them, that helps me as a consumer, right? So I think that's the other thing is that by Samson doing this, it's not, it's not also like doing something that's harmful to the con- consumer because they don't make people do it right. They, it's totally, you, you have all the ability to go out and find your own title company. But at that point in the process, like I, I trust my real estate agent and I want to use whoever they use that can make it smoother. Yeah. And that's definitely the value proposition that Samson is selling is basically like if we have good enough real estate agents the real estate agent will like win over your trust. And by the point that you actually close on a home sale, you'll be like, Hey, I trust this person. If this person wants me to use Cardinal title, fine, you know, easier for me. So yeah. And I I think that, you know, again, it's, it's a real, it's a real push and pull and both companies trying to capitalize off what are usually referred to as like these ancillary services I know like UWM, I know it is doing something with appraisal right now. So there's trying to both capitalize off of these things, but then other, again, other companies saying like, like, why do we need these things? Are we needlessly complicating the the home transaction? So interesting. You know, one of the stories that you have been working on for a while, I haven't filed yet. Tell us about the story that you are working on about home building. Yeah, so this is a pretty massive undertaking. It's about both home building and also three-dimensional printing of homes. Um, Basically, there are um, a handful of companies in Texas and California that have explored uh, the idea of basically using three-dimensional printers to um, print out, um, using concrete, print out like uh, the frame of a home instead of using plywood, which is normally used for the frame of a home. And so that's kind of the gist of the story. But then the story also gets into um, sort of the state of home building right now. And the state of home building right now, uh, which I know is of, of great interest to many people right now, is like pretty historically unique because you have a situation where Basically, there's a lot of homes where construction is being started, like homes that uh, like the U.S. Census Bureau does this thing each month, which we cover, which is about like home starts, which literally, you know, means what it says, like homes where construction is started and like home starts are at their highest since 2006. But home completions are like kind of middling And I think that that kind of speaks to the fact that like once a home gets started, there could still be regulatory issues. There could still also be issues, uh, especially right now in terms of getting like the materials needed to build a home. There could be issues in terms of finding uh, skilled labor, in terms of finding the right subcontractors to build the home. And so I I was speaking with Rick Palacios of John Burns Consulting a week ago about this for this upcoming story. And and he was talking about how, you know, basically there's there's a real kind of impasse right now and, and a real sort of disconnect between the demand that people have for homes and and the ability to both sort of clear local regulatory hurdles, but then also have uh, the construction, have the labor in place. And um, 
the one thing I would add on that, which which I think is really interesting about the work that Rick Palacios does, is that he's always talking uh, with sort of local builders in different areas, like builders in Florida, builders in Texas, builders in Colorado, that kind of thing. And what he's finding out is that um, because zoning laws are so different in each places, that sort of the challenges can be very different and, and the, the workforce is very different in each place. So, you know, what might be easier to build to be built in Florida is kind of maybe impossible to build in California. Great point on that. You know, we always say real estate is local, but whoo, zoning laws are local, right? I mean, yeah. Um, and, and I think the thing with some of the, you know, I think now more than ever, people's attention is focused on the fact that we don't have enough inventory. And so maybe this is the tipping point for different kinds of homes to be built, different, different methods, processes, 3D printing or offsite, you know, building and bringing in manufactured homes, however you want to say that. Um, because obviously there's a problem and everyone can see the problem. It's not clear what the solution is, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that when people talk about solutions, I think offsite manufacturing is definitely one of them. I was talking um, to Tyler Pullen at the, the Turner Center for Housing Innovation in Berkeley, and he was expressing skepticism about like venture capital um, financing, um, sort of sort of fueling these 3D home printing companies as opposed to sort of an actual plan. Like it's more just something that has sound, sounded good to investors than maybe something that has shown a proof of concept so far. But but he was saying that basically like, you know, any innovative approach right now, like we're desperate, like anything that can work, like modular housing, just sort of like building a home with concrete instead of wood, um, whether it's 3D printed or not, and then like shipping it to a place. Like these are all things that I think are being reconsidered. And it kind of speaks to a larger point, which is that, you know, um, there's you know, you buy an iPhone and you want like the same iPhone everyone else has, or you buy a car and you want like the same model car everyone else has. But with homes, there's sort of this idea that the home is something that maybe like expresses yourself or speaks to you individually. And so like K, um, KB Homes or uh, gosh, I'm forgetting, oh, Toll Brothers, Toll Brothers, these kind of like home builders, national home builders, they often do, Toll Brothers is an example of this kind of custom built homes where basically like uh the the you know home buyer wants like this type of awning or you know this type of incentive something something like that and i think that we might be you know hitting a point where some of some of that maybe have has to fall by the wayside in in order to sort of deal with sort of the housing shortage right now and and that maybe you know going forward there might be sort of more prefabricated homes or, or homes that maybe are not as aesthetically pleasing, but, you know, might find a way to be built faster and more efficiently. I love that point about that homes are, are individual. And I think in the age of social media and Pinterest and, and Instagram and stuff, I think the individualization of everything, people want the, you know, they want it to reflect what's inside of them. They want everything, their clothes, their hair, their homes, their cars, their everything. Mm -hmm. They want to curate. I mean, right. That, that's what we as consumers have said. So 
how that applies to such a traditional uh, industry like home building is interesting to see. And then even more so when you come up against the fact that even if you want it, you know, I want to show my, I want to show my individuality. I really want this concrete home. You could not build that, build that home. And, and probably most of the subdivisions, you know, where most of the builders are right, right now, even if you wanted to, even if the builder wanted to. Um, so it's, it's really finding a solution on a number of different levels. Yeah, it is. And I mean, the, Vive is one company that, that does offsite home manufacturing and, and Amit Holler, the CEO of Vive, he likes to describe homes as, you know, the ultimate consumer product. Um, but that can kind of like cut both ways where it can mean like the ultimate consumer product, like, like you said, like expressing like something, you know, using like consumption and capitalism to express your own individuality, or it can mean like the ultimate consumer product as in, you know, this is like not much different than like, you know, a can of beans or something where, where the, you know, each of the homes in the subdivision look exactly the same. And, and so I don't really know, you know, where we're headed. It, it raises a bunch of questions about like home aesthetics, community, what your home means to you. But I, I do, th- I would agree with sort of maybe, you know, the folks like at the Turner Center that just argue that, you know, just statistically, there's such a shortage of homes available compared to demand right now that kind of the more pressing issue is just maybe finding shelter for everyone. I think that's a great point. I do think that, you know, and then we have uh, the largest generation of people to hit home buying age. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. where, I mean, they, they're driving home ownership right now. They're doing, you know, they've bought a lot of homes, but then a lot of those people have not been able to buy homes of that cohort, right. Of the, of that age group. And so they're the, they're the people who are going to be the ones on the zoning committees on the, you know, passing legislation mm-hmm. looking for it. And, and so I feel like there is this, um, they're coming up against something that maybe other generations didn't in the same way. And maybe they're more open to different kinds of homes or different kinds of communities or different kinds of materials or building processes. And so I feel like, I mean, that's that's pretty long range, right? Yeah. So it's not like, oh, by next year, we're going to have this. But I do think that you have to look at it and say, the the consumers who are demanding homes today who can't get them are oftentimes, you know, potentially first-time homebuyers that um, have just been priced out of the current market for the last couple of years, don't see anything happening in the next year that's going to change that. Um, and so maybe there's some real momentum there. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's really interesting. I mean, I think that if you look at like the millennial, I mean, this is what obviously Logan writes about constantly, but the millennial generation of home buyers, which I think is like millennials, I think are like 81 to 98 or, or, or something like that. Maybe I'm giving them too long of a range, but you know, the the point is, yeah, like you said, like these are the people that that have just entered the home buying market now, and so maybe maybe their ideas of like what home means to them and and what home ownership means to them, you know, will eventually change if they continue to sort of encounter, you know, the frustration that they've encountered. I mean, I know my sister; she bought a home in Minneapolis, and she had to like you know, you know, it was the typical process of like, you know, looking at like, you know, tons of places, like making like multiple offers, that kind of thing, you know, not kind of having to like, you know, wondering if she was like settling for something, wondering like, is this like the be all end all decision in my life? Or can I just like, you know, compromise here? And, and maybe there's a rethinking of, of sort of, yeah, 
how people tr- treat that decision as, as opposed to maybe Generation X or, or I guess the baby boomers. I also think, you know, we're used to thinking about uh, the way traditional homes are built and then the way that traditionally homes have to be updated and remodeled and, and to hold mm-hmm. value. And so I think there's a whole other conversation about if you use different materials, what does that do? Is it a depreciating asset in a different way than a house built with, you know, uh, lumber and drywall and all that? I mean, it, mm-hmm. is there? it could be more durable, but is it going to appreciate in value? Which is, uh, you know, it's one of the conversations that Logan and I have because it's, mm-hmm. it's really a catch-22 when you think about the fact that we, we want people to, we want homeownership to be widely available. We also want homeownership to be a great investment. Um, well, I mean, you could, you could provide homes for people, you know, if you wanted to, you have the, you have the will, you could provide homes for a lot more people than we currently do, but that would bring down the price of homes for everybody who currently has a home, right? So is a home a place for shelter that we want everyone to have, or is a home, a wealth building vehicle that needs to appreciate in value because people have, have bought that and that's part of their strategy. And so those two things, you know, come at each other. Um, and they, they don't, they don't really work well together. Right. And so when we talk about what the future of home building likes, or even the, in the short term, what does it look like as an investment? If you, if you have some of these alternative either models or processes or materials? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good, I mean, that's a really, that's a very, very huge issue to consider because, you know, throughout like my entire life, I mean, that's been sort of the policy argument for homeownership is that it's wealth building. And, you know, like we've, you know, Housing Wire has very, you know, diligently like interviewed folks at the Urban Institute and stuff like that, that are like, you know, the racial homeownership gap is like hugely important because it it kind of explains the persistent sort of racial wealth gap because homeownership is sort of the way you know, the, the people accumulate wealth in, in American society. And, and, and so, right, if the home is sort of more like a car, you know, that to use that example comparison, again, that just like depreciates in value, like, you know, that, that totally, that totally changes the equation of what homeownership means. And another thing is, is that if you have the um, home being built, say, by concrete, and and this this I touch upon this in this forthcoming mammoth feature about like three D printing. But basically, like if you're building a home through concrete, then you're not doing it with like the accepted ways that maybe like the building trade unions have done it before. And so, like if something breaks or if there's a problem with it, there's a question as to like whether or not you know it can be repaired the way that, you know, a home is traditionally repaired and, and like you were talking about remodeled. Right. I mean, how do you um, say you come up on a concrete home and it's 30 years old? Um, how do you, how do you fix it? Or 20 years old? I have no idea. Yeah. I'm, I'm not at all an expert on this, but um, it just, the, yeah. I just think there are every, every solution has further questions, right? So, but really will be interesting to read your, um, your deep dive on this and see what Rick Palacios has to say. I know that um, he's doing some really interesting things there. So anything else uh, you want to talk about, Matt? No, I don't think so. It's been a very, it's a very busy time right now in real estate. I would just say that like, you know, um, we're kind of monitoring the fact that um, 2021 was a record year for home sales and home price appreciation. And there are some signs that uh, some of that is, you know, slipping a little bit. So I think I'm just trying to 
you know, come this spring, like talk more about agents, about sort of whether their job is changing and, and whether, you know, the, the market is not as, as favorable as maybe it was in, in the last couple of years. No, and I know that that's what's also underpinning, you know, looking at different brokerage models and the question of how do you pay agents? How does, how do we, how will mm-hmm. that be going forward in a, in a way that is sustainable? So super interesting. Thanks for being on. I know that our audience uh, uh, appreciates your writing and reporting, and I can't wait to read that feature. Cool. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Appreciate it. have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.